teaching text today is from John 1, 19 through 34. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan from where excuse me, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God, the Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, Lamb of God, in your gracious word to us, we learn who we are. Speak to us this morning and root us in the identity we receive from you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as of last week, we have made our transition from the Old Testament into the New, and for the next few months, we will be following the story of Jesus presented in the Gospel according to John. Last Sunday, if you recall, we heard the prologue of John's Gospel, sort of this cosmic bird's-eye view of the Christmas story, telling the story of God's eternal and creative Word becoming flesh, dwelling among us, lighting our darkness and revealing to us our Heavenly Father. Well, this week we've come down to earth. Today our reading comes, uh, opens up with a man sent from God, a man named John the Baptist. Or more specifically, it opens with his answer to the question brought to him by skeptical leaders from Jerusalem. Who are you? Well, that's a very good question. After all, this man, John, who, just to avoid confusion, is not the same John credited with writing the gospel, 
this John the Baptist has come on the scene suddenly, claiming to be preparing the way of the Lord out in the wilderness and baptizing those who are coming to him from uh, cities and villages across the region. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem, well, they would be remiss if they didn't go and investigate this man. After all, I would be asking similar questions if a man showed up unannounced and started baptizing many of you out in the Yakima River. So these religious leaders, these priests and Levites, they show up to investigate John the Baptist, as they should, and they ask that question, who are you? And even though they didn't have to out and out say it, the implication of the question uh, must have been clear, that they weren't just asking his name, but they were asking whether John claimed to be the Messiah, the long-promised descendant of David, the one who would come to restore God's kingdom in Israel, because John immediately answered the question behind the question, I am not the Messiah. Well, so much for that. Next, they ask him if he is Elijah, which seems like a strange question at first, until you remember that in 2 Kings, Elijah doesn't die, but is instead taken up into heaven in a whirlwind, in a chariot of fire. And so there had long been rumors that Elijah might return. But again, John says, I am not. So they try again. If he's neither the Messiah nor Elijah, perhaps he is uh, the prophet, the one Moses promised in Deuteronomy 18 when he said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And so they ask him again, but again he replies, no. Well, but now they are perplexed, so they return to that original question. Who are you? I want you to pay attention to that question, who are you? Because it's one of the most important questions that gets posed to us. In fact, for most of us, it is a question we spend our whole lives trying to answer. For at its most profound, this question is one of our identity. And how you answer that question, how you answer who are you, how you present yourself to the world, well, it makes all of the difference in how you are treated. For example, let's say that someone, uh, a neighbor you don't know, perhaps, is having a barbecue in their backyard and you decide to go and join in. Well, naturally, they're going to ask you that question. Who are you? And how do you answer it? I mean, you could start with your name, but hi, I'm John only gets you so far in that situation. You're going to have to give some more information about yourself. You're going to have to reveal yourself a little bit if you want to be able to stay and enjoy the burgers. For example... Hi, I'm John. I'm a friend of Alex's. He asked me to meet him here. Well, that's going to have different results than, Hi, I'm John. I'm from the fire department, and I'm here to make sure your grill is well-maintained. Or even, Hi, I'm John. I live in a tent down by the river, and I haven't had a hot meal in weeks. The way that we answer that question, Who are you? Even if the question is just implied by a curious look, has a profound effect on how people treat us. And so we take great care in answering that question in the best way possible. Because it matters so greatly in our everyday life, we invest a lot of time and energy into shaping the best identity for ourselves that we can, then to creating the most attractive answer possible to that always nagging question, who are you? Of course, it's not just by answering the question that we answer the question. The way we dress, the car we drive, 
the appearance of our homes, the products we buy, the political stances we take, the types of language we use, the people we hang around with, the contents of our Facebook page, even our New Year's resolutions, all of these are part of that lifelong project of creating an identity for ourselves and communicating it to others. That lifelong task we've been assigned of answering the question, who are you? Lately, it seems the only acceptable answers we can give are increasingly self-centered. Whereas not that long ago, it was enough to identify yourself relative to other people, by your family relations, perhaps your occupation. We are now more and more being pressured to answer that question, who are you, by finding new and different ways to express ourselves, our individuality, to follow our bliss, maybe you've heard that, or to march to our own beat, or listen to that voice inside. And I think we're seeing some of the results of this, this increasing emphasis on defining our own identity in the devaluing of stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads, for that matter, as well as rapidly shifting norms in sexuality, especially in the categories of, uh, in the way that categories of biological sex are being replaced by self-chosen gender identities. Increasingly, we're being taught to look inward to find out who we are. And it's only natural that we will increasingly challenge every norm and tradition we can find in the quest to forge a truly unique identity. And while we are told that this is where freedom is found, in reality, self-definition is a trap because our identities, our true identities, can only come from outside of us. They can only be given by God. I mean, look at how John the Baptist deals with this in our reading. Rather than looking inward to himself to answer the question of identity, he answers by placing himself in relation to Jesus. Rather than saying, hi, I'm John, and I'm a really good baptizer, he says, I am the voice crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. He says, I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. He says, I baptize with water so that he might be revealed. He says, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Rather than pointing to himself, to any quality or strength inside him, he points right at Jesus, literally, saying those words we sing before almost every uh, communion. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John does this not because he's shy, not because he's uncreative or a follower of a herd mentality, but because he knows that he only matters insofar as he relates to Jesus. That his importance comes not from himself, but from this Messiah who follows after him, the one who was before him. Now, instinctively, we react to statements like that because we have been trained to think that every person's worth comes from inside them. But the reality is that our worth, yours, mine, everyone's, comes from God alone. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that only Christians matter or that only believers in God matter or even that only good people matter. But I'm saying that people matter, not because of anything intrinsic inside of them, but because God, their creator, has named them good. And even John the Baptist is no different. As he will say later in this gospel, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. 
And while we might think that John's story is a tragic one, imprisoned by King Herod, beheaded at the whim of uh, King Herod's stepdaughter, in reality, the opposite is true. For John is here totally free because he knows that his identity does not belong to him, but to Christ. And that means it's no longer his responsibility to maintain. That's true for John, and it's true for you as well. For this project that has been foisted upon you by the world, this monumental task of building for yourself an identity, a name that will stand the test of time, of finding the perfect answer to that question, who are you? Well, this project has already been completed for you by Jesus Christ himself. Your true identity, your identity that will outlive even death itself, is not based on your strengths or your virtues or your successes, and neither is it based on your weaknesses or your vices or your failures. Instead, it is based on the promise of Christ given to you in baptism when you were named and identified as a beloved and chosen child of God. And the Holy Spirit took it upon herself to see you through the rest of your days. At the end of the funeral liturgy, there is a prayer for the deceased that goes like this. When we ask God, we say, Acknowledge we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Here is the identity that matters in the face of death. Here is the answer to that question, who are you, that brings salvation and life. We don't pray, acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a really great woman, a faithful churchgoer, a self-made man. No, those identities, they pass away. But these will not. A sheep of Jesus' fold, a lamb of Jesus' flock, a sinner of Jesus' redeeming. Brothers and sisters, no matter what the world tells you, no matter what your job tells you, no matter what the culture tells you, no matter what even your friends and family tell you, your deepest identity has already been given, and it rests secure in the work of Jesus Christ for you, in spite of your own weakness and sin. This new year rests in that promise, knowing that your Lord and Savior has made you his own, and that is enough. Amen.